Let's take our Bibles and go to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. We're going to move around a little bit in the Gospels this morning, so keep your Bible handy as we'll look at several places today. But starting here in Luke chapter 24, I'd like to read the first nine verses. Luke chapter 24 and verse 1. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. It came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee? saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And they returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. The foundation upon which the gospel rests is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without that resurrection... Everything we believe crumbles. Everything we try to do crumbles. Everything that we hope in crumbles. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, and if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and our faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses unto God. If Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, you're yet in your sins. And they that are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. You see, without the resurrection, everything we believe, everything we do, everything we hope for in the future crumbles in ashes. Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Thank God Jesus Christ is alive today. Uh, the Bible tells us in Romans 10 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Salvation does not take place without the resurrection. Easter is not Easter without the resurrection. The gospel is not the gospel without the resurrection. But I have a question. How many disciples were there? 12. 12 disciples. So look at verse 9 again. And they returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven. Somebody missed Easter. Somebody missed the most important event in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who's missing? Verse 
Judas. Let's look at four chapters in the biography of the man who missed Easter. Go to Matthew chapter 10, if you will. As I said, we're going to move around a little bit to follow this guy that missed Easter. We don't want to miss Easter. <laughs> I mean, it's on the calendar. We got some stuff on the calendar to do that day. It's coming quickly. We're going to be doing some things this weekend in anticipation of the Resurrection Sunday. We don't want to miss it. So let's look at this biography of this man, Judas Iscariot, the man who missed Easter. Look at verse 1 of Matthew chapter 10, because we see that this man had a faithful master. In verse number 1, the Bible tells us that this master gives power. And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Notice he called the 12 and gave them power. This faithful master of these 12 disciples, Judas Iscariot included, were given power. Notice also they were called to preach. Verse number seven, and as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Judas Iscariot was a preacher. He had the power of God, the anointing of God. He was a preacher. Notice verse nine, God promised his provision. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses nor scrip for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. God said, don't worry to these 12 disciples. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about where you're going to stay. Don't worry about your provision. I got that. I got that covered. I'm going to take care of that. This, this master, this faithful master of Judas Iscariot had given him power. He had sent him to preach. He had provided for him. Notice, he gave them protection. Verse 22, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. And verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. He says, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be watching over you. I'm going to be caring for you. Notice verse 28, he gives them peace. And the fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them should not fall on the ground without your father, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. He's giving them peace here. He's saying, you're going to have some troubles. You're going to have some trials. It's not always going to be easy, but I'm your peace. I'm the one that will give you comfort. I'm the one that's going to care for you. And then he not only gives them power and calls them to preach and provides for them and gives them protection and peace, but notice the promise he gives these 12 in verse number 41. As he closes this little message to these disciples, in verse 41, he that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give him to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple Verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. God was going to honor these men. He was going to reward these men for everything that they would do in serving him. You know, God is faithful to those that he calls to follow him. 
You're here because God wants you here. You're here because you're following God's will in your life at this moment to be at West Coast Baptist College and God gives you these promises. Faithful is he that called you who also will do it. The Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith, for he is faithful that promise, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Judas, this man who missed Easter, had a faithful master. But chapter 2 reveals in this biography that he had a fleshly mask. Let's go to John chapter 13. And see another chapter in this biography of the man who missed Easter. Judas follows the Lord as the Lord calls him out to follow and gives him all these promises. Judas serves. He goes about from city to city preaching, healing, doing miracles. And for three years he has sat at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and has been taught. He has learned, he has absorbed, he has rubbed shoulders. He has allowed the iron to sharpen iron, but he wears a mask. In John 13, let's look at verse 21. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask him who it, is, who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, he it is to whom I shall give a sop when I've dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought because Judas had the bag that Jesus had said unto him, buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out. It was night. This is an amazing passage to me. These 12 men sitting at this table in the upper room, enjoying what we refer to as the Last Supper, and Jesus, in the midst of that meal, says, one of you shall betray me. If you ever see an authentic painting or copy of that painting of the Last Supper, Jesus is sitting in the center. And there are six disciples on each side. And if you look at an authentic painting, I believe you'll see that to the left of Jesus, or to his right, is a disciple that is sort of leaning against the Lord Jesus. And we would assume from Scripture and from the 
artist's rendering that that would be John, the beloved disciple who is spoken of here as leaning upon the breast or the bosom of the Lord Jesus. He was the beloved disciple. He doesn't name himself in his own gospel. But I believe in that authentic painting. If you look at it, it's very easy. It's hard to pick out all the disciples and who, which one is which. But you would certainly believe that the one directly to the right of Jesus or the left of Jesus in the painting as you look at it would be John. If you look carefully at that painting, you'll notice that the next person to the left of John or to the right of John, to the left as you look at it, has to be Peter. Because he's leaning across John and he's got a dagger in his hand. That's got to be Peter. When Jesus said, one of you shall betray me, I got a feeling Peter said, who is it? I'll get him. I got him. Lord, I got you. Right? Because that's what he did in the garden later with Malchus. Took a swipe at that guy. So that's got to be Peter. So kind of put yourself at that table now. You're one of the other disciples. In this tense moment, Jesus says, one of you. Now, he had told them he was going to be betrayed. That's why they were in town. That's why they had come here. They didn't, they didn't connect all these dots quite yet, but he had told them, we're going to Jerusalem, that the Son of Man might be betrayed into the hands of sinful men. So they had knowledge of the fact that, that they, they were being watched and, and perhaps there was going to be some trouble that was coming. I think that's why Peter was ready with the weapon, you know. He was armed and dangerous. So they knew that sort of in a foggy way what was about to happen. And so now Jesus announces that the betrayer is sitting at the table. Surely they must have thought he's going to be sold out by someone other than themselves. I mean, they'd, they'd been together for three years. They, they knew each other pretty well. You, you live in a dorm room for somebody for, with somebody for one term, you know them pretty well, right? You know, their, you know their problems. You hang around somebody for a while, you're going to know them. And certainly after three years, they would have known each other pretty well. And so their, their response here is, who is it? Lord, who is it? And Jesus decides to use an object lesson here to reveal the, the betrayer. So instead of naming him, he says, whoever I give a piece of this bread to after I've dipped it. If you ever go to Israel and eat any of the bread, it's hard. It's chewy. Uh, it's, it's not soft sliced bread like we know in America. It's really chewy and it's, it's, it, 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 it's, it's hard. And you have, to, you have to kind of break it to get to the, the, the more soft parts of it. And, and the custom is when you take a piece of bread to dip it in some sauce or some gravy to soften the bread. So it was customary. It was, this was not an unusual act by any means. So he said, whoever I, and he's probably picking up part of the bread there, and breaking it off. And he's saying, whoever I give this sop to after I've dipped it. So all eyes. Are on Jesus now. As he takes that sop, that piece of bread, puts it in the, in the sauce, and reaches across whichever way it was, right or left, and hands it to Judas. <gasps> Judas! Judas! I knew it! I knew it! No, that wasn't the response. 
The Bible says no man at that table knew why he spake this unto him. He just told him. He just told him, whoever I give this to is the betrayer. And he does it. And the Bible says no man at the table knew why. They thought, well, maybe he's supposed to go buy something. He's the one with the bag. He keeps the money. He's supposed to buy something for the feast. Or he's supposed to go give some money to the poor. They they had no clue. You know why? He wore a pretty effective mask. For three years, he had worn that mask. He looked like a disciple. He acted like a disciple. He preached like a disciple. He performed miracles like a disciple. He learned to walk. He learned to stand. He learned to speak. He had memorized the script. He knew the lines. It was all behind a mask. But he wasn't hidden from God. Oh, we think that if we have a good mask, we can fool some people. We can't fool God. There's nothing hidden that shall not be revealed. What you've spoken in darkness, we heard in the light. That which you've spoken in the ear and closets should be proclaimed from the housetops. Neither is there any creature that is not manifested in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The psalmist said, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the innermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me. Even the darkness shall be light about me. The darkness hideth not from thee. The darkness and the light are both alike unto thee. Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Oh, we can come up with a good mask. We can try to cover the flaws and cover the hypocrisy and cover the defect. God sees right through it. The fleshly, flimsy mask of the man who missed Easter. And it led to a third chapter. Go to Matthew chapter 26 and let's see a foolish misery. In Matthew chapter 26, we come now a few hours later in the life of Judas. And if you'll look with me at verse 14 of Matthew 26. They're in the garden. I'm sorry, they're just prior to the garden. Verse 14, then one of the 12, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priests and said unto them, what will you give me and I will deliver him unto you? And they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. And from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. So from John 13, we know that he was identified by the Lord. The mask was pulled off. He was exposed. The Bible says he went out. It was night. And a short time later, he goes to these enemies of Christ. 
and promises to sell him out, to betray him for a price. Verse 21 of chapter 26. And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. We're back in that upper room there. They were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to say to him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. And the Son of Man goeth as it was written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? He said unto him, Thou hast said. Judas had made a decision. Judas had decided we all have a free will. No one can make us serve God. No one can make us conform to his will for our life. We have a choice. We go down to verse 47 of this chapter. Now we're in the garden. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him had given them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Friend. Friend. You see, Jesus loved Judas. Jesus never threw him under the bus in those three years. Jesus tried to minister to him. Jesus didn't treat him differently than the other 12 or the other 11. He loved him. Do you know that God loves us even when we're backslidden? Do you know that God loves carnal, apathetic, indifferent Christians? Revelation chapter 3 talks to that church at Laodicea. Thou sayest, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Knowest thou, knowest thou not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor, blind and naked? I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clean. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. God loves the Laodicean church. God loved Judas. God loves you. Regardless of whether you're saved or unsaved, God loves you. Regardless of whether we're right with God this morning or in a backslidden state, God loves us. It begs the question of us, then why? Why are we so foolish to turn from that love? How could Judas make this horrible decision in his life to sell out the Lord? 
After experiencing all of that love, all of that peace, all of that power, all of that anointing, all of those things that God had invested in him and yet foolishly sells him out. I don't know if Isaiah 59 prophetically has Judas in mind, but as I was reading it the other day, I couldn't help but think of Judas. Their webs shall not become their garments, neither shall they cover themselves with their works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their hand. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they know not, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made crooked paths, and whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. All of the time that Judas was masquerading as a disciple, his mind was thinking iniquity. His feet were running to mischief. He was ready to sell out the very one that loved him. And all of these chapters lead to the final chapter of Judas's life. And we go back to Matthew chapter 27. And we see in verse 1, when the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. All biographies have an ending. And this one doesn't end with happily ever after. Jesus said in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, the Son of Man indeed goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. Jesus said of Judas Iscariot, it would have been good if this biography had never started. If this book had never been authored. And the only thing we can conclude from that is that it is a fateful midnight for one who is born but never born again. Jesus said it would have been good for that man never to have been born. What could be worse than being born? There's an answer to that. Not being born again. Because to be born and not born again means a forever condemnation in a place called hell. Jesus said it would be better if this guy had never existed. It would have been better if he had never enjoyed a single thing about life. It would have been better if he had never been born than to be born and not be born again. 
Do we understand this morning that these boys and girls and these moms and dads and these teenagers that are coming to this campus tonight and tomorrow, it'd be better if they never existed than not to hear the gospel and be born again. And college student, Jesus says it'd be better if we had never lived to be a college student, if we had never experienced West Coast, if we never laughed, we never cried, we never ex experienced any kind of emotion, God said it would have been better never to experience any of that than to experience it all and more and not be born again. Are you born again? Charles Spurgeon stated how horrible to be a preacher of the gospel and yet to be unconverted. Let each man here whisper in his utmost soul what a dreadful thing it will be for me if I should be ignorant of the power of the truth which I am preparing to proclaim. Unconverted ministry involves the most unnatural relationships. A graceless pastor is a blind man elected to a professorship of optics, philosophizing upon light and vision, discoursing upon and distinguishing to others the nice shades and delicate blendings of the prismatic colors while he himself is absolutely in the dark. He's a dumb man elevated to the chair of music, a deaf man fluent upon symphonies and harmonies. He's a mole professing to educate eagles, a limpet, a devil elected to preside over angels. They returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven. Don't miss Easter. Easter.